Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Kara. How are you? I'm good. I just came back from watching The Worst Person in the World. Holy shit. <laughs> you loved it. I really liked it. I also, I know I told you this already, but um, and I, I just need to affirm to myself that it is a funny movie and nobody else in the audience laughed. It was a really funny movie. It's so good. But I don't know if it's because I grew up in Germany and I like know sort of like you know, I, I've been to Norway, so I don't know if that was like why I thought it was funny or it kind of reminded me a lot of what we talked about with today's featured artist because the woman kind of struggles about being boxed into one thing and, and not and kind of rebelling against that in a sense. So, I, yeah. So to, do you want to take it away? You want to introduce yeah, our amazing I'd featured artist? Yeah, I'd love to introduce our amazing featured artist. Um, her name is Ananya Panwar. She is a singer artist i mean i don't know why i'm actually listing all the things that she does because if you'll hear in our interview yeah, you know that she just does so many incredible things, things. Yeah. and we talked about like Kara prefaced not wanting to be boxed in and that's just a tiny portion of what our amazing conversation was um i just i kind of wanted to shut up and just let you yeah listen let you listen so thank you so much for tuning <laughs> thank in you. and we hope you enjoy <laughs> a songwriter, a poet, and a performance scientist. So I do a lot of different projects, and I like being involved in different ideas. And I'm not really bound by a discipline, but I think the one that I'm most comfortable with and the one that I love the most is music. That's my kind of interface and medium. Your music is also so beautiful. So. It really is. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. Did you say performance scientist? Yeah, that's a new. That's so cool. <laughs> do you want to do you want to talk about like what performance science is and like what you studied? Yes. Yeah, so um, my master's of science at the Royal College of Music was in performance science, and it's it's quite a new field. It's quite mm. niche as well, and mm. it's. Um, it's a derivative it's a derivative of sports science if you're familiar with it where which is kind of like a 50 year long research field um where they kind of look at olympic athletes and not just olympic athletes but athletes in general and mm -hmm. look at their physiology their psychology their mm -hmm. you know their their practice routines and rituals and rehabilitation just everything that is involved in giving an expert or optimal performance. And it's kind of well documented, well researched. There's there's quite a lot of frontiers being um, created and explored within that field. And so what performance science does is it takes those principles and it spreads them out onto, so in my case, music, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but also surgeons and combat pilots and magicians oh, wow. and comedians businessmen because at the end of the day all of these various performers um, mm. have one thing in common which is they have to perform optimally they have to do the job that 
they need to do under yeah. quite a lot of pressure. You know, for mm. a classical musician, it could be an audition or a recital. For a contemporary musician, it could be some kind of an arena. For a surgeon, mm-hmm. of course, the stakes are different. You know, there's a mm-hmm. life at stake. Um, but it's it's all the same principle. You've got to achieve what you've been training for, and you've got to deliver it, and you've got one chance to do it. So that's what uh, that's what performance science is all about, and that's what I did <laughs> at the Royal College of Music. I that's so cool. I want to backtrack a little bit, but like, it's sort of related to this question. I I would love to know how you got to where you are today, and like, what drove you into pursuing or discovering performance sciences and pursuing that but then you know in a greater sense like the music that you do and in Gaia's garden and like all the other facets that make you you yeah um it's it's hard to reflect back on yourself you know when Mm. um I don't know because I mean in the context of the universe, of course, my life is very, very short. But for the context mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. myself, it's 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 a long <laughs> 23 years. Yeah. So um, there's sort of been like this inexplicable richness to it that um, that's that's hard for me to summarize into completion. But I'll try. And I think, like I said, I'm from India, right? It's where it all started. I've I was born there. I was raised there and um i'm specifically a garvali woman it's an ethno-linguistic community mm-hmm. and we're from a small mm-hmm. state in Uttarakhand, which is in the himalayas um that's where both my parents are mm-hmm. from as well my mom and my dad and my mother she's a military officer um she raised me single-handedly um yeah my whole life because she's also a military widow and my father passed away when I was two Mm. years old because he was killed in action as a combat pilot so Mm. I basically spent my entire it's okay thank you I basically spent my entire um life in India you know from I was born until I left when I was 18 um essentially just being on various military postings um, my schooling was mm. all like mostly military schools. I lived in a lot of states, a lot of small towns, a lot of mm. big cities, and that essentially made me experience life in a very nomadic way, um, in a way that I mm. always expected every one and a half to two to three years to result in some big change physically in my geographical location. Mm -hmm. And with that geographical change Mm -hmm. would come a huge cultural change as well because India is not just a country. It's like so many little countries in in one united, diverse country, right? So the food would change, the language, the dialect, the accent would change. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything would change. And so I... I didn't really have any markers uh, left in the way I speak. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no regional kind of accent to the way I speak my native languages. And so, yeah, I always just kind of walked through life growing up, feeling like a part of everything, but not fully a part of anything at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I fit into so many places and so many different mini cultures um but I'm not truly off one place and so that was really hard yeah but also 
it is yeah. kind of central to who I am as a person. And yeah. so I took all of that into um, into my music. And music actually was never a thing that I was going to be pursuing. It was a thing I always wanted to okay. pursue. And it was very much a thing I was not going to be allowed to pursue. You know, culturally, yeah, it wasn't yeah. an option. And uh, so I was very much set, like, through high school. I did all of the pre-med um, IB classes, mm, all of the mm. HL sciences. I got into these American colleges for for pre-med and neuroscience. And so wow. eventually I was like, this, I have to... I have to, you know, do that thing, the, that classic coming of age thing where you rebel against everybody. You have a lot right. of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you cry a lot. You, you yep. use a lot of Google to try and, like, mm-hmm. you know, support the arguments you're making. Um, right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, eventually I got my mom on board and she actually I'm still on a timeline she gave me a timeline she was like okay I will give you until you are 25 to do whatever you want to do and you must prove Mm. that by the time you are 25 um, you can be independent and secure and stable because I mean looking back at the fact that she had to raise me on her own I totally understand why independence was so big for her Mm -hmm. for me to Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. but in a way mm-hmm. that was um in a way that was accepted by society and also dignified you know because mm-hmm. my life was mm-hmm. always just going to be a woman in india um and so there's a lot of kind of weight that comes with it but eventually i found myself in london i did my bachelor's here i specialized in vocal performance um and i got really into creative technology <laughs> during my bachelor's. that's great yeah cool um it was it was a whole new world. Like I always dabbled in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using Cubase like before to like mm-hmm. record like these YouTube covers and and stuff like that. But um, during my bachelor's, I really got to play with Ableton and like creative technology in a live performance sense, and that opened up a whole new kind of frontier of sound design, soundscapes, and and what you can do with you know just a laptop and you know maybe a microphone. So that was really cool. Um, but I knew that for my master's, I didn't just want to focus on vocals again. It kind of felt mm-hmm. like what I needed to learn. Um, a lot of my education during my bachelor's was uh, self-determined. Um, there were things that were being taught, but a lot of it was the stuff that I was putting into it, the, the stuff that I wanted to mm-hmm kind of go into you know it it was very much you have to make the initiative you have to be proactive Mm -hmm. and so I thought okay if I've done that for three four years for vocals I've set up some good habit systems to continue working on my primary instrument which is vocals Mm -hmm. Um, but now I would like to learn something that that maybe I don't know that well just like explore a new world um, and so mm-hmm. I stumbled upon performance science. I thought, what a strange cool. field. <laughs> I really thought. Yeah. I really, really did think, what a strange field. But also, it sounds yeah. so ambiguous and so fascinating all at the mm-hmm. same time. And that is, I think, 
one thing I've always been very comfortable with is ambiguity and 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 things being mm-hmm. abstract or vague and, and not fully defined is something that mm-hmm. I've always uh, it doesn't bother me and so when mm-hmm. I was trying to understand what this field was what the past research was there was a lot of mm-hmm. you know it's all about music and musicians and and how they perform and since performance was always my one of my first loves I thought what better way to spend the rest of my um lockdown because it was a lockdown (laughs) masters um yeah to fully immerse myself into this this field and so that's what I did um yeah that's how I got to performance science it's amazing that's amazing and and so you did vocal performance in um in, in your undergraduate and your bachelor's um was that when you started you know your own sort of music career and and doing your own music a little or bit did that come about um I had already started um writing music um when I was about 11 or 10 and before that I was oh, wow. writing poetry and it somehow converted into music eventually um mm-hmm. I realized that Nobody really wants to hear a 10-year-old recite poetry. That, that's not a thing people <laughs> like, want to do. <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, I think man. it was a pretty early realization that, because um, I was quite social and, and quite boisterous. I recall my mother would mm. absolutely dread like getting me to be not restless and and you know like actually be Mm. quiet um it was a very like herculean task for her but i still didn't (laughs) express much i there was a lot that was Mm. kind of going on emotionally for me um you know Mm. with like dad not being around but then seeing everybody else's dads kind of come to um these pta meetings and then you know when somebody would call the home phone they would they would ask for Mr. Pumar and, you know, even, mm. and, and just like these very subtle things that um, from a very mm-hmm. young age, I noticed that the system inherently needed me to have a father and not many people were acknowledging the mom that was there. So I was always kind of mm-hmm. lost in, in a sense of, I wish I knew this person who I've heard such like, I, you know, for the longest time, my question to one of those icebreaker questions, which is, you know, like if you can have one person dead or alive, like a celebrity for dinner, who would it be? And I'm like, it would be my dad. Cause I, I, I would mm. love to just, you know, go out for lunch or dinner with um, him and, and, and ask him some questions about, you know, whether he had any hopes for me or did I live up to them? And if he has any advice and, you know, like, how to change a car tire like just some really basic like quote-unquote dad stuff um there's been a lot of time not like expressing how I felt with the world around me because it felt like the world around me was having a very different experience of life and so I always thought Mm. of myself as oh my god I take everything too seriously 
And, you know, Mm. again, nobody wants to be friends with the kid who's like really emotional and really serious. Um, So (laughs) exactly. A lot of my art, you'll find out. I mean, definitely not the same life experiences, but I think Rebecca and I were the overly emotional (laughs) taking things way too seriously (laughs) all the time. Yes, 100%. I really needed you guys around (laughs) during my childhood. (laughs) Um, I think we would have been friends friends. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) just like just sit with our feelings and cry for a little bit and then you know oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh absolutely turn it into make art about it exactly make really yeah make really bad art about it (laughs) (laughs) you know I absolutely love that I I really wish I knew (laughs) that you know like it would have been okay to share with with mm. other children when mm. I was little, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But a lot of it was always like being armored up and and not really yeah. letting anything get to me, um, like physically, mm. like emotionally, yeah. mentally. So music was what became my output um, or f- like outlet and expression. After I started writing these poems, and I was like, well. I write these and it's my only way of telling the world how I'm experiencing it and, and, you know, actually being open. Um, but then, I, like I said, you, you're not, you're not a poet when you're 10, you know? <laughs> and so I started making music <laughs> instead and, you know, putting all of yeah. those poems to music. And, um, so I was always doing that in India, writing songs really into contemporary western music but also really into folk music from india always kind of just mm-hmm. in, in a lot of worlds there there weren't really any kind of specific domains that i was pushed into or or pulled away from i tried to explore mm-hmm. as much as i could and then when i moved here right before i moved here is when i i i guess became nisa or started nisa Um, And that's because, um, ironically enough, I did start doing um, stuff that was really honorable, and I still do it. Maybe I don't share it as well. But like I said, I'm I'm Garvali, and that's the language we, that's my my mother tongue. um, It's the language that comes before Hindi for me. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not very well known, and it's not very well preserved. Um, it is actually well preserved, but it, it's kind of the numbers are dwindling. There's a lot of migration yeah. happening out of the mountains, and yeah. people my age, we don't speak the language. We may like mm. on a good like on a good day, half of us might understand the language, but mm. a lot of us don't speak it. Mm. And so, a couple years before I moved out to London in 2017 is when I started taking these like really old folk compositions from the mountains um, and turning them into sort of strange contemporary jazzy R&B soul compositions. I love oh, that. Yeah. Thank you. I really believe that, you know, because all of these lyrics, when you start reading them, they're about they're they're about the river Ganga. They're about the the snow covered mountains. They're about trees, mm-hmm. just daily life in the mountains, and you know how the yeah. air is cold but the sun shines, and you know the berries grow on trees, and it's just beautiful stuff, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's no longer as popular because it exists in a 
not extremely good kind of modern sound quality online and mm-hmm. young you know are the young <laughs> quote unquote the young um you know <laughs> <laughs> we'd rather like listen to drake and Khalid or like somebody else you know who's like i don't know you know it's just like yeah. i really thought that if i made a modern sounding version for mm. people from my village they would hear mm. it and they would remember yeah. how beautiful kind of our village is um yeah, and so yeah, yeah. it was really beautiful project i still do it i i occasionally if i play a live show i will you know bring in one of the folk songs and cover them again yeah. but what had started happening was people started associating me as only this person and expecting worse than that expecting oh, yeah. me to only be this person and so if yeah, I yeah yeah fuck that <laughs> exactly and I get it there were people you know there were there were elder people who who were like what is this blasphemous art <laughs> that this girl is putting out <laughs> And there were people oh, who were sure. like, you know what, this laps, like, yeah, scat all over yeah, this, yeah. like, really old song, you know, so the, the, the mixed support, mostly positive, but then this expectation to always mm. only do this and to not deviate and, you mm. know, not, not explore some, like, neoclassical soundscapes or not explore some, like, random trap beats that I wanted to write up to, you know, so I felt, I felt quite boxed in and that's when I became nicer mm-hmm. um, because I felt in that yeah. moment that Ananya had <laughs> a lot less freedom than Nysa would have and so mm-hmm. in a bid to be free I don't know I created a, a whole new kind of music project where I didn't expect people to associate Nysa with any cultural identity you know i didn't expect people to mm-hmm. know where nysa came from which is all really ironic considering now it, it, my i can't escape my culture not that nor that i want to anymore but you know, know. nysa really? was very really? much something that started as something i thought that would give me the freedom to explore and express um so yeah sorry i've rambled on um and i don't know if i've answered your question but yeah, that's when I started. Um, uh, absolutely. Nice musically. And, you know, I also wanted to kind of ask about, you know, like how you would describe your your sound and your style, but you sort of even touched upon that just now. I mean, it was really beautiful what you said. I don't know, just kind of pondering on it. I, I love how you said that nice, NYSA was like a, almost, just, it just, it was almost like a bridge to help you get to like, where you are now and just having the most like truthful expression of yourself and um something really authentic you know shining through your art I think that's just so beautiful yeah I I actually was thinking a lot about Stromae when you were talking because like that's like amazing oh my god (laughs) amazing (laughs) multitude is like I my brain is on fire but um he talked about that like in this like recent documentary that he kind of did for youtube or whatever like his little like promo thing and was like well people in belgium are singing english music all the time but they don't know the words so why can't it be the other way around and i and i think that that's really like beautiful because of i mean it's amazing he's a stupid you know superstar but 
I'm, I am really, I'm really grateful that the internet has made it easier to find artists that aren't just from the country of origin that you live in plus the United States. I, I think it's like way easier to find music from or from the UK, you know, if it's like English music. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that was really, but yeah, I totally, amazing. It's amazing how you went ahead and like, you were like n- not letting yourself just get like boxed in into one arena, which y- you have all these, you have all this multiple multitude of like talents and aspects to your life. And I think it's great that your music is also reflecting that. I think that's really cool. Thank you. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. The, the internet really um, is, is such a blessing. Um, mm. One of the, one of the kind of key identities I had when I was little you know, one of the earliest ones I can even think of um, was as like a bookworm. I was always, re- like, always I had a few library books in my hand. Like, I remember my my fourth or fifth birthday gift. My mother gave me this mini Oxford pocket dictionary because I read so much and I kept asking oh my God. <laughs> what words meant. <laughs> And so, oh my God, that's um, so cute. <laughs> yeah, at the age of four or five, my mom sat me down and she she taught me how to read the dictionary. And wow, <laughs> I love that. Um, and I I know I still have it somewhere in my home in India, like that same Aww. one. And I would carry it around in like my little like backpack. And if I read a book and I couldn't understand something, I I would read the dictionary the way my mom taught me and and I'd figure out the meaning kind of vaguely and one of the things that that taught me at a really early age was um, there are certain resources that help you access and understand what you want to do and what you want to be and you know like some mm. some resources are worth more than other resources if i'm if i'm saying that correctly yeah. you know it's like a resource yeah, that teaches you how to understand and access other resources is a lot more valuable than kind of mm. 500 other texts that you kind of have to break your back to to even get started mm-hmm. on and so the internet uh, for me is the exact same thing you know it turned into this this beautiful way of of knowing things you know and mm. and i know my mother used to get a lot of slack from kind of our extended family members but also just like society in general because my mom recognized the value of internet pretty pretty quickly you know and mm. and we joke mm-hmm. we joke that it's because she you know she didn't want to be like as like hands-on with me and just wanted some time to for herself but that's not <laughs> <it>. she, <laughs> she wanted to prepare she wanted to prepare me and she recognized it to yeah. be this tool which could you know show me uh like all of all of the knowledge that I needed to have you know mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I remember being nine or ten and our house would have like we had a desktop computer you know the big boxy ones oh yeah oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. those ones we had those my dad still has one (laughs) he still uses it oh my god we don't have to talk about it (laughs) that is actually amazing that is actually fantastic i I love it truly remember 
we had it in in like the central you know the, the central area of the house yeah yeah sure, um, sure. where mm-hmm. everybody could kind of walk around and stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there was just like 24 7 like uh, broad like modern broadband connectivity or whatever mm-hmm. it wasn't quite wi-fi mm-hmm. it was still like very ethernet cable-y um yeah. but it was always there and i mm-hmm. remember my mother being kind of uh, chastised by uh, like women older than her mm. or her age basically saying why do you have inter- internet all the time in your house you know mm. like it can like show kids a lot of bad stuff and you know kids can become spoiled and rotten and, <laughs> and my mom was like no I trust Ananya to you know seek what she needs to seek and 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 you know use the information that's available she's basically was always like a proponent of like the good that can come out of it at this stage mm-hmm. outweighs the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that I got into using digital technology and, you know, the World Wide Web when I did, because obviously right now it's, it's it, the dangers are, I feel like, exponentially worse. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, mm-hmm. I agree with you, the internet, I wouldn't know a lot that I know about if, if, my mom hadn't kind of stood up to all of the aunties saying, don't give your daughter out of all places, you know, like, you know, I think they'd be a little less judgmental if it was for the son as well, you know, mm. but because I was like the girl getting this access to tech, it was always, a, oh my God, like, you don't know what's going to happen to her. And mm. I'm so glad that my mom stood up to that because mm, yeah. it really did make me aware of so much of the world yeah yeah do you feel like it's factored into the music that you create now like there's a lot of different people that talk about like it's so interesting I I I was listening when the pandemic first started Maddie Healy did like this whole like interview series for their album from the 1975 where he interviewed musicians and he I forget who he talked to but he talked to somebody about like how the internet is impacting art at large and I was wondering and, and since that conversation and since this the third album which was called an inquiry into online relationships like I want since I've noticed more and more and more songs are referencing our relationships with the internet the internet itself like as a tool as a vice as a relationship as so I'm curious to know if or even technology at large, like how it factors into your music today. Um, yeah, and, and also how you feel about it as an artist outside of what you just talked about. I think, uh, surprisingly enough, tech and the internet um, are more centered to my academic practices than they are mm-hmm. in my musical practices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... I still use technology in my music um, with the whole bunch of new releases that I have upcoming. It was actually, um, it started during my bachelor's when the initial kind of final dissertation project I was going to do, which was purely based on the live event experience, couldn't happen anymore because we'd gone into the Mm -hmm. pandemic by then. And so I had to pivot and make up a whole new project that I was equally invested in. And I ended up um, I ended up making this whole set of 
um, what I titled at that time New Media Poetries. Um, and they were, the premise of which was, um, you know, what the what the kind of printing press was for for literature, you know, is what yeah, wow. we we kind of accept digital audio workstations have been for music. But then um poetry mm -hmm. is one thing that that is actually where music arises from. Like when you like like mm. go back into the Bardic traditions, they were just long form poems to music, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and they weren't written down. You didn't experience them written down. Poetry was always something that was, poetry was always something that was heard in the bard's own voice. Um, yeah, yeah. Eventually, you started reading them. Eventually, you had this whole etiquette of consuming poetry. And and yeah, there were poetry readings, you know, where the authors would speak them, but. Um, mm there was a solid period of time where reading poetry was what is associated poet like what poetry is associated with but then in south asia poetry still is consumed in the form of guzzles and kawali in a very musical setting but it's also something that is related to the atmosphere and the ambience that you're in and I was intrigued mm. by that in the sense of we're now in a world where, you know, we are, we can read poetry on Instagram. Like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. Can, you know, you can go yeah. the poetry hashtag and there's going to be some beautiful lines there waiting for mm -hmm. you to glance at. And there are a lot of contemporary artists, you know, who've, of course, like made poetry musical. But I wanted to kind of study what would happen for the audience if they did, you know, experience poems just written down and then mm -hmm. verses in the author's voice, you know, mm. to a soundtrack that was composed for the poem. Yeah. So again, like borrowing from the concept of the mehfil from South Asia, where you have mm. a atmosphere, you have a whole vibe to it, you know. Yeah. Um, so creating that digitally for a poem that I've written and then using my participant sample to kind of do a, um, <laughs> a study where they experience the poem just written down and, and kind of evaluated it and then they experienced it um, heard like they, they put on their headphones and then they mm -hmm. they heard it in my voice and um, it was something that was really fascinating because I got to incorporate tech into my music and art for the first time in a way that was very much I'm going to study what effect this has on the audience and it left yeah. me with a very beautiful question. Um, there wasn't any, you know, of course, it was a bachelor's study, so I wasn't about to find something, you know, fantastic. <laughs> or change the world. Groundbreaking. Exactly. Yeah, like, every, everyone that in their bachelor's degree <laughs> has obviously at some point achieved great research. <laughs> oh, my God. But I did, I did find a very beautiful sentiment to sit with and it, it that's it, awesome yeah it, yeah yeah it f kind of existed as a question which was 
should should poetry by extension music by extension art be experienced on the terms of the artist who creates it or mm -hmm. should it instead be experienced freely by the audience without any context that kind of mm. puts them into a certain world you know because the that's way the age-old question isn't it exactly that's yeah to further sit with that i was like wow that's insane that's crazy well i did it and now we're gonna move on and so for my master's i looked at virtual reality as a performance space for musicians again studying how it matters for the audience whether you know they prefer mm. virtual reality um how they prefer it you know what is like the perceived value everything related to how this very specific piece of technology when applied to a musical context changes the experience of music for the audience and then the artist um, mm -hmm. themselves yeah, yeah. and so that's what my academic work has been focused on and will be focusing on on like another level um, that's where I really explore tech and and you know the novel mm -hmm. technologies that are coming up is is where I find this freedom to explore music performance music composition and human creativity when it comes to my own music I try and keep it as organic as possible as kind of rooted mm -hmm. and grounded as possible mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. using that as a base to introduce little electronical elements to it just to kind of mm -hmm. yeah. touch on the beautifully juxtaposed world yeah yeah i love i love hybrid hybrid music and as, you know, as a composer myself i'm a huge fan of melding orchestral organic acoustic sounds with synths and found sound and electronics i think it's it's a beautiful marriage of of worlds um i kind of want to go back to what you were talking about with with poetry and segue into she loves me it's very obviously connected to that so yeah. can you tell can you tell our audience what is she loves me uh and what inspired it what was that process like for you creating it from the artist's voice and yeah what, just tell us about it that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> thank you for um for asking me about it it's um yeah it's as you know it's my latest release it came out on friday the 25th of march and um everyone it, should go listen to it it's it's incredible was yesterday <laughs> the day that we're recording so the 25th was the, today's the 26th so it was yesterday and it's rebecca and i were gushing about it it's such a good song <laughs> poem spoken word peace music it's so good <laughs> thank you incredible. so much that's so sweet of you guys um yeah she loves me is i've been describing it as sort of a love letter to an unconditional love, mm -hmm. you know, the supportive mm -hmm. love that that we can find in the world. And I, you know, it for me, um, I wrote it for my mom and mm -hmm. I I wrote it just one random afternoon during the lockdown. And this mm -hmm. was, you know, before I started my bachelor's project when the, the world was still very uncertain about about being inside their homes. Um and I was, I was really anxious. I was really overwhelmed about not not my own health, but if my mom was gonna be okay. 
because she's a she's a doctor and she was uh, going to be helping with um, with a bunch of people who who mm. were coming back to India COVID positive, and so yeah. I was a bit stressed and I couldn't yeah. go see her at first because there were no flights and right. then when there were flights I I couldn't go because my mom categorically said no you have your final exams coming up um, you have a project that you can't do anymore you have to focus on your 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 degree your this is what you fought me for you wanted to study mm-hmm. music in London yeah, yeah. and you can't risk getting stuck in India unprepared mm. with like none of your tech, with none of your texts, with none of your instruments, just because mm. you want to come see me for a week or so, you know. Mm. And so I was very much banned from visiting my mom by my right. own mom. Um, <laughs> and so I couldn't. And the last time I'd seen her was in August 2019. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so. By the time the pandemic had started and we were in it, you know, it was already March, April 2020. So it had been quite a few months. And I wrote She Loves Me when I realized that, that you know, although I'm annoyed that this woman is literally prioritizing my future over my ability to meet her, um, when you kind of peel back that curtain that decision is rooted in a true and genuine investment mm-hmm. and concern and care for my life, like the way my mm-hmm. life pans out, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of at a time where I realized that, and, you know, maybe this will change over time, but in that time when I wrote it, I was very much in the mindset of there's going to be nobody else in this entire world who is going to give me that kind of love, that kind mm. of sacrifice, that kind of support and nourishment that she has throughout yeah. my entire existence, you know? Yeah. And it kind of hit me really hard, you know? Uh, there was a part of me that was terrified that I'm never, you know, what if something happens to her and I'm never going to find this kind of love again? It's going to be gone Mm. forever from my life. Mm. And there was a part of me that was so ecstatic to feel that kind of support, that kind of love, that kind of Mm. just the ground beneath my feet when I was kind of just all over the place with nothing, nothing in my life being certain. Um, And so that's how... I just kind of sat down and I wrote, she loves me. I had no intention of it being something I shared with the world. I didn't share it with Mm. my own mom for the longest time. Um, Eventually it sneaked into my bachelor's project. I don't know if it actually inspired it. I I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of a very non-exclusive Venn diagram during that time of life. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right. what was impacting what? I have no clue, but I remember <laughs> that this song was what I felt for my mom. And then, yeah. and then when you sit with the thought of, well, then what if there is no, you know, what if she's not there, then what? Um, mm. You know, God forbid. Um 
And there was a tiny sliver of comfort in knowing that this love exists for all of us in the universe in some kind of way or form, Um, whether it's in the form of, you know, and I've written this a bunch of places, but genuinely, and, you know, not to conflate, like, maternal love with romantic love, but Mm. I really do think that kind of love is something you can to an extent find and you know like your sisters your your partners and and even the goddesses that we worship you know mm-hmm. my mother mm-hmm. my mother is quite um spiritual and she practices hinduism she's religious mm-hmm. and she finds a lot of comfort mm-hmm. in the goddesses um she hasn't had her mm-hmm. parents around for a really long time and i saw that she found that love because her husband didn't like you know, my dad wasn't part of her life for the last 21 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where was she finding this love, this support, you know, a part of it from me, I suppose, but a really big part of it from from goddesses and the universe and earth and her faith. Yeah. So I saw how yeah. this this exists in different in in just different manifestations for all of us. For me, it's yeah. human. It's my mom. For somebody else, mm-hmm. it may not be. Um, right. And that's what I found beautiful about it. And it convinced me to put it out there, see what happens. Maybe it will reach somebody who who wants to express this to someone or, or you know, I, I don't know. It just kind of made its way out into the world somehow without ever being intended to do that. <laughs> we call that a project monster. Rebecca and I call that a project monster. <laughs> I love that. It goes, I think it goes without saying that, like, sometimes, I don't know, we could be so self-critical of our own art mm. and so hard on ourselves when it comes to perfecting something. But I think when you're creating art for yourself or for the people around you and you're not, it, maybe at the, the beginning you're not intending to release it for other ears. It's just, it's just for you. It's just for your own self-expression. I think... It, that creates some of the most beautiful art and then eventually we share it with other people but I, I think it speaks to a really um, beautiful point and kind of not to go off on a completely different path <laughs> but speaking of speaking of goddesses <laughs> is a really bad <laughs> Is this, is this a famous and perfect transition? I, I, I am, am so feeling coming our way <laughs> I, I'm clapping already because <laughs> this you. is Thank you, Anania. <laughs> I love it. I know where this is going. <laughs> Why don't you introduce to the imperfect transition? For me? <laughs> I'm handing you the baton, Anania. Wow, wow. I love it's this. It's a big step. Oh. We're giving it over to an artist for the first time. Don't mess it up. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So speaking of goddesses, why don't we talk about the, the primordial goddess, Gaia? <laughs> yeah, yes. I yeah, amazing. <laughs> ten out of ten. Eleven out of ten. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I've only heard about it from Rebecca secondhand and then a lot of Instagram stalking. But I wish that my butt could have been there or could keep going there. It seems like such a amazing place. What is Gaia's Garden? Yes. What inspired Gaia's Garden and what is the future for Gaia's Garden? Exactly. <laughs> all big questions that actually I'm in the process of uh, like answering with the group right now so Gaia's Garden is Mm. 
it's a physical for now and and what it had been this entire past year or well 2021 um was a physical space a physical embodiment of community but specifically through the lens of sustainability ecofeminism and climate activism so what we set out to do mm-hmm. was create a public space for people to gather um, and to share their practices of sustainable living with each other to encourage each other to do the same to share their stories to participate in workshops um, and that is at large what what happened but uh, um, to kind of go back to the start I had applied to this um, program by this award-winning studio in East London called Play Nice. And they kind of put out a call for individuals who wanted to work on one out of five kind of key themes, right? Um, and there was, there was race, there was gender, there was sexuality, and then, well, four, four actually four projects. And then there was sustainability. Mm. And I have been interested and in exploring all four of them, but I have always had a very um, intrinsic sort of relationship with uh, capitalist sustainability. You know, mm-hmm. it's always been lowercase sustainability for me in the sense of it's existed around me in my life. It's existed in, in the material I write about in my music. It, exists in the stories I love to read um, it exists in the way I I kind of see the world spiritually as yeah. well um, and so I wanted to challenge myself to um, participate in this program mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I was yeah I <laughs> I didn't do a degree in you know conservation or ecology or anything like that this mm-hmm. was purely my um, the reason why I applied was purely due to my own personal interest it had nothing to do with sort of my professional or even academic pursuits mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. it was just for my own self that I wanted to do this and explore this and so eventually um, I found out I'd been selected, um, and so we got put into five, like a group of five, and so we were five women who had never met each other before. Uh, we didn't exactly know what we fully signed up for, but <laughs> what we knew <laughs> exactly, but what we knew that was we were going to be mentored by Noga, who. Um, are a very just brilliant, uh, motivated climate activist. Um, I, I don't I don't have enough words to explain who Noga are, but um, they they are powerful. They are brave, mm-hmm. and and they are here for you know the emergency that we are all collectively facing. And so, mm-hmm. all five of us knew that we wanted to come up with an idea. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't know what the idea was going to be. Um, We didn't know what exactly, you know, at that time, though, well, because it was, again, all on Zoom. The context for, like, my entire last year of my life is just Zoom, like all of us, you know. It's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Yeah. 
we would just meet on Zoom once a week, um, and Aga would share some guiding principles and like ask us some questions about what we'd want to do and what you know they would like us to achieve for their brief, which was something centered around sustainability and community. That's kind of what we went mm-hmm. off of, and so mm-hmm. the five of us we went off and we initially what what guys garden was supposed to be um or was turning out to be was this little nomadic card that would have um like workshop materials and and some like music uh and repurposed kind of arts and crafts material and also um resources on how to kind of stop food waste etc it was supposed to be a Mm -hmm. tiny cart that would go around from borough to borough um be very nomadic and just kind of do like a pop-up garden with you know how to plant stuff and and how to grow your own food and how to propagate plants um that's what it was supposed well that's what it (laughs) because um we had a budget about budget of about five thousand um yeah, pounds. sounds about right. <laughs> so, so, so we, so we were like, right. So, what can we do through the summer, the entire summer? Right. And all of us mm-hmm. were like, well, we'd love to, you know, like take the the good word of sustainability around. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> eventually, we unlocked um, an insane amount of funding and a and an actual physical space. Um, wow. in the form of this property development um, in the middle of city of London in Holborn. Mm. And yeah, yeah. Um, they basically were on board for us to upscale our project and actually wow. use this unused, you know, property site covered with debris and turn it into a fully functional community garden. And so that's wow. really when you know, when we knew that we had um, basically 20 grand um, plus amount of money to kind of just go, like let our Mm -hmm. ideas go crazy with, and that we had a physical space, that's when a lot of what you experienced at Gaia, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. is when it came to life. And that's when we we really freely, you know, we still were freely ideating, but we were always kind of restrained by the, oh, we have to, make this thing run across the entire summer with this much money kind of a scenario. But now it was like, you know, whatever you can think of, you know, we could (laughs) probably try and make it happen. And if we can't make it happen, well, we at least thought of it, you know. And Mm -hmm. so Gaia's Garden was literally that. It it, It was a volunteer created garden we had a few um, amazing teams come in onto the project to support us with the design and the branding and the sustainable furniture creation. Using palettes and we mm. had a stage built because one of the things that was really important for me from the beginning was how music and performances mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. can be used to bring people together. And since community yeah. was such a big part of the thing that we were trying to achieve... Especially in a part of London which doesn't, I mean, unless, you know, your idea of community is uh, fintech bros. (laughs) City of London, to make it eco-feminist. And, and, you know, it's just, um, 
and also you know like purposeful and and diverse and welcoming um after 5 p.m when everybody goes back home it's a difficult task and so Mm -hmm. music and performances and you know djs um for always gonna be a big part of the garden experience for anybody who came into it and so we had all of that we had beautiful workshops we had breathwork workshops movement workshops we had a bunch of performances from amazing artists we had a lot of djs come on we had henna workshops oh, as yeah. well um, um there was there was just so much that was done and um it was all meant to last for a whole summer where you know london was still sort of in lockdown mm-hmm, and pe- mm-hmm. this was supposed to be and it did become this oasis for people in a part of london that that isn't vibrant it's a bit gray it's a bit dull and it's a bit it's a very quiet you know in the evenings and it's almost like a dead town but but we wanted to bring conversation and culture back into that part of town and so that's what we did and I think one of the key things that I think we achieved really well and one of the key things that I was really the main reason why I actually also um, signed myself up to be one of the people who thinks of all of these ideas of what you know a project mm-hmm. could be um, was that sustainability for me and you know, you know of course this is not either the right opinion or, or a wrong opinion but for me the biggest challenge I identified was the climate emergency it doesn't look at our um like the, the emergency itself and climate change itself doesn't look at our um, differences the way we see them, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely, um, and, right. The earth doesn't, no. Exactly, the earth yeah. itself doesn't. Unfortunately, of course, you know, climate change um, from the human perspective disproportionately affects of course, people, absolutely. you know, yes. marginalized yes, of groups. Yes. Not a doubt about that, but when you're thinking of just the climate change itself, it's not, the the temperature isn't rising looking at, you know, where I belong from <laughs> and what language I speak, you know. It's not like this pointed thing, which is like, you yeah. know what, you're brown and we are going to start off with you. Like, we right. don't really care about you because you don't quite fit in, like, you know the conversation about the western centric white male and gaze also that... like white male right. gaze as well so <laughs> you oh we you can go also you you're, you're not the ones who made tacos so you can go like you know it's just a joke <laughs> but Jesus, yeah. i'm just saying yeah you bring up humans have such weird parameters that we live by like these yeah. stand like social standards which you've brought up again and again the that are yeah there there are boxes yeah. everywhere and we love yeah. to do that we love yeah. to create patterns we love to recognize things with patterns but really you know like we spoke about computers and tech they are so much mm-hmm. better at it like let's just let's just <laughs> stop seeing the differences like we can leave the pattern recognition to ai you know we can go <laughs> here and just be humans but yeah. um yeah and and that was like the thing with guys garden we did achieve that we went beyond um because one of the focuses was to make it intersectional. Um, yeah. We yeah. we achieved it. We we managed to bring people together from all parts of London. Um, mm. 
into this like little central oasis it didn't matter where you came from it didn't matter what language you spoke it really didn't matter what kind of music you listened everyone was there and they were being unabashedly climate you know climate positive is that the word um they were just there was no kind of hush hush about it there was no like oh you know like i want to talk about it but i'm not sure how my audience is gonna receive it so i'm not gonna talk about it everybody was just like yeah we we want to change things and we're going to change things and we are changing things and that was really beautiful about guys garden um yeah Yeah. unfortunately it's closed now um but we're hoping we are hoping that you know um, we're in talks with pull and bear to do a Gaia's garden um earth day event uh, oh, kind of cool. like our reunion so if you're in london for that you are absolutely invited i <laughs> wish it's, i wish i could just like leave space. i have too many projects tying me down to new york right now but it's an incredible oh, incredible space and not only did it have um you all had just a wonderful mission and yeah. goal with this with the space and what you wanted it to be and what you want people to take away but i i just remember i went to the to the preview the the very first event that you had and just walking in and there were just some so many incredible people the artists were there some of them and you had this wonderful dj and you performed and it was such a just a at just a beautiful experience. I don't know how else to to explain it, but you know, then walking around and just being exposed to so many artists that I, you know, wouldn't have found otherwise, you know. So it was just incredible and we had Sumunachima on the show actually did, yeah. our last yeah. episode before you Great. was Sumunachima and I just remember seeing I remember seeing that painting and just being completely like just blown away and just stopped and stared at it forever and there was just some it, it was just amazing and yeah I don't know it's I don't want to keep blabbering on about it no but. thank you it's, <laughs> I mean just, even yeah. if you make it out to London you know later like next year we still have the outdoor exhibition the hoardings they're going to be up for four years at least and oh, wonderful. we yeah, so we commissioned these um, amazing photographers from within the United Kingdom. Um, well, we displayed their work, and it's all sorts of beautiful stuff, like like really beautiful portraits. I guess I can call them portraits of moss and like ferns and the hidden oh, world that we kind awesome. of overcome. Yeah. Um, she loves me actually is exhibited there as well in its written form along with a few other poems but the the internal exhibition is now close to the public and Mm. and the reason why we had that was because you know given the nature of the pandemic a lot of students um and kind of early career um artists didn't get a chance to display the works that they've been looking forward to displaying so Mm. we had this money so Exactly. And so we had this money and we thought, why don't we pay these, you know, guys and display their work and, you know, make our project also at the same time um, exude the essence that 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 it's supposed to have. 
So, yeah. yeah. I know there are four other people on your team, um, but just through this conversation with you, I think it really reflects who you are as mm-hmm. an individual and as an artist. And, you know, at the very beginning of the show, you said how you don't like to hone in on just one discipline. You like to yeah. just be you and yourself and how you don't want to be put into a box. And I think so much of that also can translate for Gaia's Garden, how it's it's not just, you know, a place where you can go and learn about sustainability and climate change, but where you can experience art and where you can connect with people on like a real, true, authentic level. And it's just, it's so many amazing things tied up into one. And it just reminds me of so much of who you are as a person. So I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for sharing everything about it. And yeah, I'm so excited to hear more about where you and where Guy's Garden goes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah it's been I have just so much to think about so much that you said I'm like oh that makes me think about this thing or like this makes me think about this other thing um in a good way I, I it's I I love it it's it's almost like we had a culminating conversation with other artists we've had on the past and you kind of touched on so many different things it was great um Thank you so, so, so much. We would just love it for you to sign off and say your name again and where people can find you on social media if you want to share Guy's Garden socials as well and where we can also listen to your music and your art. And yeah, just give us all the deets. We want it. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me onto your amazing podcast i had heard a few i had heard some of the chima's um episode actually i really loved it as well um great yeah thank you thank you for inviting me on i think the conversations you are having with people and highlighting are incredibly important especially you know as we all are creative and we all are self-critical and we all are on a path of constantly trying to express more in a way that reflects our growth etc you know it's the the way you are having people reflect on themselves but also how they're connected with you and then the wider world um through the art i think that is incredibly relevant to the very rapidly developing and changing world we're currently living in um, while still being, you know, just humans at the end of mm. the, the, the day, just, just, you know, we're not cyborgs yet. We're just humans <laughs> living in a very, very right. digital for world. For a little while longer. It's, we're going to hold out. <laughs> just fully biological humans yeah, right yeah. now. There's, there's nothing too intense about us. Sure. Um, yeah. And so thank you for having me. And oh, thank you so off, much. My name is... No problem. My name is Ananya Pawar, and you can find me um, in most places if you type my name in, but probably the best way is to type my artist name in, which is NYSA, N-Y-S-Z-A, and I'm available on Spotify, all the streaming services, uh, Instagram, I think I'm going to have to make a TikTok in the next two years. So maybe I'll be there Watch then. out, world. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'm around on, on the digital world. And um, yeah. please connect with me. Uh, I'd yeah. love to say hello. 
and uh yeah thank you to the podcast imperfect Cara and Rebecca. of course thank you so much Nanya it's yeah. been so great to have you that was amazing I think I mean I don't know how many more times I can use the word amazing but <laughs> it was truly 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 so amazing I mean I think Ananya is such a beautiful person and it, it just that shines so much in this interview so and this is the least of her talents but so well spoken oh my god and so many just like really wise tidbits and I've moved around a lot but like not as much as it seems like Ananya has but um I really related to being a kid that doesn't like feel like she fits into the world around you or like your peers around you and that was really that really resonated with me in that moment and like how your art how that reflects in your art in a certain way maybe not in the most like profound or maybe the most like um concrete way but yeah I, I it was I just thought everything was so good and, and seriously like check out her music it's so good you can follow Ananya which you totally should on Instagram at it's Nysa, which is spelled I-T-S-N-Y-S-Z-A. You can also listen to her music on all places you can listen to music um, if you just search Nysa. And we also encourage you go follow Gaia's Garden at Gaia's Garden LDN, where you can learn about uh, future events that they might be doing. Of course, we'll be sure to share it on our Instagram as well. If you'd like to give us a follow, we're at the podcast imperfect. DM us if you're interested in coming onto the show or if you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can also send us an email at the podcast imperfect at gmail.com or visit our lovely spanky website. Spank- spanky! <laughs> our amazing, fully updated website. Um, Take it away, Kara. You know, www.thepodcastimperfect.com. You can also give your lovely co-hosts a follow. I'm at Quiet Open Space, all one word. And I'm at Rebecca Niska Music, all one word. Hell yeah. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in for this very enlightening, I think, and also just um, grounding conversation. Can something be both grounding and enlightening? Like, can it happen? I think so. I think so, because it was. So. Thank you so much for tuning in to our conversation with Ananya, and um, I hope you have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, or wherever you are, just midwinter, midwinter, <laughs> summer, <laughs> spring, <laughs> fall. For you, I hope it's not midwinter, unless you really like midwinter. This is such a random... I don't even know why. It's a- I don't know, <laughs> but you know, we hope you're having a great time no matter what, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>